times the day seems long our trials hard to bear we're tempted to complain to murmur and despair but Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away all tears forever over in God's eternal day
song really I you know if we really grasp the reality of eternity I mean to really grasp the idea that 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 one day literally will crawl up in his arms it change how we live Don't you just find yourself begging God? Saying, God, be real with me. Don't you do that? I wrote down, um, I was thinking, where that prayer list, I thought, I wish some of you could have known Mr. Harris the way I do. That's how life goes, too, isn't it? I mean, if you'd have seen him 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could have got to know the man I know, and some of you may have. I trust you have. Some of you did. Wow. He's a shell of the man he was. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just that I wish you could have seen the life in him, the strength. I wouldn't have messed with him when I was in my 30s. And just his love for God, I thought about him with that song. All the way to the end of his life, living for Jesus. Boy, may God help us to do the same, to never give up, never quit, never stop. Just keep on keeping on. It will be worth it all for him. It wasn't always easy. It ain't easy for any of us. It'll be worth it all. I don't know. That just touched me today. Take your Bible. Well, you don't even need to take your Bible yet. We see here in the book of Jonah tonight, we're still in our Everlasting Life series. And we noted that salvation is of the Lord. I'm glad that's the case. Amen. We think about it, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. The only reason I'll see him is because of the work he did, not me. That's for sure. We talked about how important it was to have the proper perspective in eternity or concerning eternity. We said about in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we, of course, tried to illustrate what that might appear to be in relationship to our vapor of a life. And we said, if we could lose our salvation, it would mean that we've lost our everlasting life. And if that's true, then we never really had everlasting life at all. We began to review some things and lessons before in the past to examine ourselves, how important that was. We learned that there was nothing that you and I can do to lose our salvation. 
We said there's not a person that can lose their salvation on their own because no person has ever earned it on their own. And if we had anything to do to earn or keep our salvation, or if we had anything to do to keep or earn it, then we'd lose it really easy and really fast. He said, if we could become righteous by any other thing that we've done, then Jesus Christ's death would be in vain even. But we know it's not in vain. And then, of course, we learned that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we recognize that, we realize that in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded, the Apostle Paul said, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, how is it possible that nothing can separate us from the love of God or from God himself? How's that possible? Well, I'm going to give you just some real basic things tonight, just a, a list of things. Reasons why we needn't be concerned. The reasons why it's not possible for us to be separated from God or his love. And so let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll jump right on in, okay? Father, how important is it that we are confident in our salvation? How important is it that we face each day of life knowing that not only you live in us, but one day we'll live with you forever in literally your presence. Father, be real to us. Father, may we truly see you on that throne. Lord, may you just allow us to crawl up in your lap each and every day as we meet with you in a special way. Lord, be real to us tonight. As we seek your word, we want to be encouraged tonight. We want to be instructed and even inspired to be better for you. Now bless us in these next moments. May we be educated that we might be an encouragement not only to our family and our friends, but to everyone around us. We need you now, Lord. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So how is it possible that nothing can separate us from God or his love? Well, first of all, God cannot lie. That's the first thing, and I think that's important to remember. Turn to Titus chapter 1, verse 2. We do kind of like little Bible study stuff here a little bit tonight. Give you a turn into your Bible a little bit. Titus 1, 2. The Bible says, and I'm hearing some pages still Still moving, so I'll give you just a moment to get there. I'll get, wait for those that are watching live stream to jump on their Bibles and get there too. You can put that sandwich down and pick up your Bible, that's right. <laughs> you know they are eating and doing all kinds of things, don't you? Because you've been there, right? Uh-huh, so have I. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's why it's important, too, to be in church, maybe, because we are a little bit more focused, aren't we? <laughs> oh, I remember my brother, he was watching a wrestling match one time on TV, and his son was climbing all on him, just like all around him. Looked like, I mean, just literally around him. Just kept clawing around his shoulders, around his head, and down around his chest. He never once moved. He just kept staring at that wrestling match. Now, he was focused. My brother's a genius, and uh, I never claimed to be that, so I could have never handled that at all. I'd have been losing my mind. 
but he was able to focus. I don't know. God cannot tell a lie. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Again, the statement that God cannot lie. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it's hard for me as, as a human being to at any point say that there's anything God cannot do. I struggle with that. Even in my notes, I found myself saying, you know what, I, I just, I, cannot, I can't even say that God cannot lie because in reality, he can do whatever he wants. And yet he is bound by his word, so therefore, if that is indeed the case, and we believe it to be so, he's told us that he's bound by his word, that he'll keep his word, and he says that he cannot lie, therefore he can't lie. And here, you think about it, whatever he would ever say is truth. Even if you thought it was a lie, it'd be truth if God said it. He makes up the rules. If he said the sky was green, guess what? He's telling the truth. He ain't lying. I'm just saying, we obviously just see it wrong then. But God is always telling the truth. He's never going to lie. Matter of fact, he cannot lie. In Numbers, we hear from the prophet Balaam, who himself was eh, not very faithful in the end, was he? But the word he received of the Lord still speaks volumes to us today. Over in the book of Numbers 23, verse 19, he says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? I mean, God is going to keep his word. He's going to fulfill his word. He says, how in the world can I know for sure I'll not be separated from God? How is it possible I won't be separated from his love? I mean, I don't live right sometimes. I don't do right. I don't think right. I'm not right. How's that possible? Because he can't lie. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of that along the way, but he can't lie. So God cannot lie. That's one reason. Number two, you obeyed the word of God. God can't lie, but also you obeyed the word of God. Well, how is it that I will not be separated from God's? I mean, no matter what I do, I'm still saved. If indeed I received and accepted Christ, if he moved into my life, then you're telling me I'm saved, that I don't have to worry about being separated from him or his love? That's right, because you obeyed his word. God always honors his word, and he always honors obedience. We note this truth concerning salvation in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall meaning at the moment of salvation and a week later and a month later and a year later and shall be and shall be and shall be and shall be unendingly. You never have to worry about being unsaved because you've been saved. John 3.16 goes on, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So shall be saved and have everlasting life. God honors obedience. He always does. God keeps his word, and if you obeyed his word, guess what? You don't have to worry about being separated from God or his love. Not only do we have his word on it, but we have it in writing. It's interesting that one day we'll be judged by the word of God. We not only have the word on it, his word on it, but we got it in writing. I think about that marriage certificate. And, uh, you know, before I marry someone, I have to take that certificate and I have to sign it. But then I also have a piece of paper that I sign as well that I send back to the county. And there they register that and they, they place it on, their, on record. 
And the fact is, is that you uh, will not only have um, my word on it, but you'll have it in writing. Now listen, I don't know about you, but if you would go in to buy a car today, uh, I can tell you, I can honestly tell you that if you walked in today and said, you know what, I really like that, that red Ferrari out there. It's a wonderfully looking car. I'm going to purchase it from you today. And they say, well, come on back to the back. Let's draw up some papers. You say, you don't need to draw up no papers. You can trust me. I'm giving you my word that I'll pay that debt. You know what they're going to say? You know what? We appreciate you giving us your word, but we would like it in writing. See, not only do we we have God's word on it, but we got it in writing. And the Bible tells us that his word endures. And we're going to be judged out of that book. And guess what? If we've been saved out of that book, then we've got not only his word on it, but we have it in writing. You obeyed the word of God. God cannot lie. You obeyed the word of God. But also, do you realize your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. No, I'm glad our sins are forgiven, not just yesterday and not even just today, but forever, past, present, and future. That's such a wonderful truth. It's a biblical truth. In 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10, we read, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Everybody there, or am I in the wrong place? All right. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver, deliver us, excuse me. So what we have here is we had the sentence of death in ourselves. You'll notice that that's past tense. We had the sentence of death. Remember, we talked about this already in the book of John when it goes on to tell us that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. We're already facing condemnation the very moment we're conceived, and we are born into this world. We're on the road to hell. But praise God, we are no longer condemned Praise God, we had the sentence of death, but we no longer do. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, who delivered us? Well, who delivered us again is past tense. In the past, we were delivered. Who delivered us? But notice, not only our past, but our present, and doth deliver. And even our future will yet deliver. I'm telling you that the Bible teaches us that our sin at the moment of being saved, the moment of coming to Jesus Christ as our Savior, our our sins are dealt with and forgiven in the past, the present, and the future. And that's a wonderful thing. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Again, none of this is a result of you or me or our attitude or our actions. It has nothing to do with our effort. It has everything to do with God's grace. God's grace being unmerited favor. It's what God gave to us when we didn't deserve it. 
And that's, that's what we see here in the Word of God. Every time we turn to this element of salvation, if, if I can lose something, it's because I gained it. But I didn't gain salvation. He gave it. Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. Go ahead and turn there. This is one of those, I mean, just great verses, great passages in the Bible that offer up tremendous encouragement to us, at least in the area of salvation and forgiveness, past, present, and future. You'll read and you'll go, oh, I know this verse. I could have almost quoted it. Again, Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the what? Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I mean, just the visual of that, you know? Sometimes we don't, you know, we, we're so used to looking at a map, at least in the past, if you was in school. Now, again, a lot of times with computers, it's a little bit different maybe, but when I grew up in school, you had maps on the wall, and you'd see the east with the big E sign, okay, E, and you'd have W, east, west. And, and, and in your mind, they're only so far apart, right? They're not that far apart. The east from the west isn't far at all on a map. But if you consider the Bible being written to all of us around the world and you think the east from the west, go ahead and start traveling east or travel west. And if you keep, you keep going west, you will never meet up with east. And if you keep going east, you'll never meet up with west. I mean, that's what he's trying to get across to us. As far as the east is from the west, it, it never meets. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You'll never be associated with your transgression, your sin anymore. That sin has been addressed. It's been dealt with. You say, but I'm going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Not for sin. No, it's not going to be that. You won't be a sin judgment because your sin... Even so, it's, told, it's buried in the depths of the sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. In this case, the Bible tells us that you've been delivered and you are being delivered and you will yet be delivered. God cannot tell a lie. You obeyed the word of God if you know Christ as your Savior. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Do you realize that you are created a new creature in Christ? Someone says, man, I think I've, I've heard these kind of things before. Yeah, it's called the Bible. It really is. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a powerful passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Yeah, that's the cue to turn. I know I usually don't give you a lot of time to turn to passages. I fly through them. I write them all down so that I don't have to look them all up. So I don't, you know, so I don't look like you, not knowing where they're at. That's why I don't, I, I write them all down, boy. Someone says, why do you write all your scriptures down, preacher? Because I don't want to go, whoa, man, I just lost my mind here. Someone says, you should know where every book is. Yeah, I can tell you where the books are. It's just when you're up here, sometimes they seem to change places. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
Now, a lot of times folks will say, well, that word creature means uh, creation, and I'm, I'm not going to argue that. I, that's fine, whatever. But I just know that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So either way, you're a new creature now. So you must have been an old kind of creature that was preached to. Now you're a new kind of creature that's been preached at, and you got it figured out now. But either way, all things are become new. I trust that's true in your life. Even though you may look the same on the outside, you're a new person on the inside. I'll tell you, honestly, this is a tough one because sometimes it can be misunderstood a little bit. Sometimes we look at this passage and we say, man, everything's not new in my life. I'm still struggling with this sin or I, I'm still wor- I, I still haven't overcome this uh, temptation in my life and I still feel bound over in this particular area of my, my Christianity. Well, you know, those are battles you're going to fight and as long as you're fighting, I think that's proof of the change. But there ought to be some change in your life and it ought to be significant and it ought to be visible. But that change takes place on the inside primarily. That's where it starts. Ultimately, it shows itself on the outside. But when we get saved, that change begins immediately on the inside and has to work its way to the outside. Sometimes it takes a little time for that to make it to the outside. You know, I always have been amazed at people who said, you know, I was a drunkard when I came to Christ. And immediately after getting saved, I threw away the liquor, I poured it down the drain. I'm like, woo! Isn't that exciting? But you know what? That's not how it works for everybody. But the change better take place on the inside. Why? Because somebody bigger than yourself just moved in. His name's Jesus, and it's going to change your life. Change you from the inside out. When someone comes to Jesus Christ, what are you really looking for in their life? I think the first thing we need to look for is a change of heart, change of attitude, a tenderness to the things of Christ. We're new creatures, and all things have become new. Can you remember back when you trusted Christ as your Savior and just that difference on the inside even? Oh, it might have been a rough battle on the outside for a while, and still may be and continue to be. It's a constant battle. We're in a warfare. But there should have been something that changed, right? And, and boy, I tell you what, if we go back and look at that, that's only proof positive that something went down the day we trusted Christ. That can be a real help when they start to question our salvation and we recognize the change that God made on the inside. And many times, even the change that he makes on the outside. However, remember this. Change can happen on the outside without salvation. But change won't happen on the inside without it. So if the change didn't take place on the inside, then there's a possibility there's no salvation. It's the new creation, new creature, if you will. That's internal, and it ultimately works its way out. Or he works his way out, the Lord Jesus does. Now, so we, we note that as well. You're a new creature in, in, in Christ. And then also, you become the son of God even as a child becomes one through adoption. You become a child of God or a son of God even as a child would become one through adoption. Now turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. 
And we're just going to, again, just take a few moments to consider this thought, but this is a really encouraging thought here. It makes, a, it, it's really, uh, you know, when you understand the cultural context of this passage, it really hits home. And it, it really drives home the reality that we are saved forever. Now, watch what, watch what he says in Romans 8. And again, remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at, where at here? Rome. Isn't that important? It's absolutely important in the context of things. Now, watch what happens here. For as many, verse 14, chapter 8, verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul addresses this issue again. Again, we're going to see here in the Roman Empire, these people are gathering and they're becoming Christians. Many of them are Jewish believers, but there are Gentile believers now joining the church. They're Romans and Roman citizens and slaves and all kind of people that have come together to make up the body of Christ. And he says in Galatia, to Galatians, he says, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his, of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Again, he addresses this idea of being adopted. Now, what I want you to keep in mind is he's writing the passage to the Romans and to the Galatians. He's writing it to, this, to those in the Roman Empire. Now, again, that is significant because how Romans dealt with adoption then is important in the context of the passage. So how did they deal with it? In Rome, adopting a child meant a couple things. Number one, the child was freely chosen by the parents. That means that the child was desired by the parents. They were, the child wasn't born into their home. The child was chosen to come into it and to be part of the family. Not only that, but the child would be a permanent part of the family. You realize that parents could not disown a child they adopted in the Roman Empire. They chose that child. They had to keep that child, a chosen child. Sadly enough, there's records that show that Romans were permitted to disown their own kids or to say, I don't want that child. But once they adopted a child, they had to keep the child. Or an adult even, mind you, however they, and whomever they adopted. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish, uh, in, in the, uh, you know, uh, Jewish culture, in those days, and again, it's a little bit different. He's writing from the Roman perspective here, but in the Jewish culture, they would often, at times, say a couple could not have children. Of course, adopting was a tremendous option. Uh, it was different in those days. Uh, when you didn't have a child in those days, it was often viewed as being very negative, and so they would adopt children. Well, if they didn't have children into their older age, they would adopt an adult later, for a purpose of burying them and ultimately taking over their estate when they passed away. There's all kind of different things there with that, but the fact is that the Romans, though, are the ones that I believe set the context of this passage. The Roman law, and Paul being a Roman, Paul being a Christian, talking to those in Rome and those under the Roman Empire is identifying with them in a context that they understood, adoption. 
And you know what? If you've been adopted according to the word of God, then you cannot be disowned. I think that's tremendous. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty encouraged by that. Again, an adopted child received a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, and debts that they had were erased, gone. New rights and responsibilities were taken on at that point. And so that's important. The inheritance was part of life as well in Rome. And so you became an heir when you were adopted as well. Now, when you got saved, you became an heir. You became a child of the king, and he will not disown you. And you are completely part of him and his family. The Bible says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, then gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When you're a child of God, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. You've been adopted into the family. You're a child of God, the son of God through adoption. That means you cannot be disowned. Well, that's good news for me. I like that. I like that a lot. Not only that, but you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, earlier in our study, we talked a little bit about that. We talked about that, I guess, that um, uh, the only way you can really know you're saved, right? I mean, the, the surefire way is examine your heart and see if Christ is in you. If Christ is in you, well, you're good to go. Well, this is kind of hitting on that again. The Bible says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, in whom, we, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He goes on in Ephesians 4.30 to say, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, when a king's seal was applied to a document, it could not be opened by anyone but the authorized person. You weren't allowed to just break the seal. You couldn't do that. To break that seal without the authority to do so would often mean death. It was that simple. Listen, you've been sealed. That means God has put his seal on you. And listen, no one can break that seal. Nobody can remove that seal but him. Now, we note the book of Revelation and we see John weeping for a particular reason. He's weeping because there's no one to open the book, you know, the seven seals. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. In Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 5. It says, I saw in his right hand, excuse me, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. 
And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. You say, why'd you read that? Because I'm telling you the same one that can loose those seals is the only one that can loose yours. That's why. No one can undo that seal of the Holy Ghost in your life except Jesus Christ himself. And may I say that you are sealed by him and you will continue to be sealed till he receives you unto himself. It's that simple. Now, Jesus promised believers that they would not be left alone in this world. And again, I know some of this, much of this, if not all of it, is review. But I think we need to be reminded of the simple truths of the Word of God often. In John chapter 14, verse 16, the Bible says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, Jesus said. You know, that's a wonderful truth that wasn't always the case. You realize it was, hasn't been like that throughout history? You know, it's only been like that in the church age. I want you to turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 51, would you? Psalm chapter 51, verse 11. You know, in the Old Testament, the Spirit came and went upon people as needed. He had empowered them for a particular purpose. In the New Testament, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's different. Notice what it says. Why, look, David... Of all people, notice what David says. And again, it's in light of some sin that David had committed. And he's crying out to God for forgiveness and repentance. And he says these words, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Listen, he was concerned that he would lose the holy unction of the Spirit of God in his life. I'll tell you something. In the New Testament, we are so blessed. When we come to Jesus Christ as our Savior, He indwells us and He lives in us. And the Bible says that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But can I tell you that Ezekiel and Daniel and many of the other prophets in the Old Testament, that at any point God could indeed depart from them? It didn't affect. That wasn't their salvation, mind you. It, it wasn't. That's not what we're dealing with, not losing your salvation. It's empowering them for the purpose that God intended them to fulfill. And they were filled with the Spirit to do that purpose and fulfill that purpose. And there were times when the Spirit would then depart. The Spirit never departs from you and I. It's a biblical fact. Jesus said, I will come to you. And as I said already, he ultimately says, I'll ne neither leave thee nor forsake thee. And he says that the moment you accept me, he says, and at, at that day you shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. Christ now lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is God, the third person of the Trinity. And that is, that is the best proof that you are indeed a Christian. If the Spirit of God is in you, then you are His. It's that simple. We've talked about that already. We needn't address it. 
But we see that Jesus promised believers that they would not be left alone in this world. But also, I want you to recognize that to be sealed denotes a couple of things. It, it means a couple of things. Notice, it denotes ownership. If you're sealed, you are God's. That's that simple. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, which are God's. You know, you're now God's possession. You've been bought with a price. So have I. If indeed you've trusted Christ, you've been purchased. And now the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And we are a blessed people today. I mean, we have so many blessings that God has bestowed upon us as believers. I mean, think about it. I don't know that there's ever been a time in history when it's so easy to be a believer. You say, what do you mean? I'm talking about from a biblical standpoint. Do you know that I don't even have to go down to the temple and I don't have to sacrifice any animals because he's already made the sacrifice for me? I'm just saying, there's nothing I got to do. I simply trust and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so simple. Grace and faith have always been elements in every dispensation. I'm not going to debate that. But let me tell you what. I think being a Christian in the New Testament era in which we live is the, the most, the greatest blessing that God had, could bestow upon us. And yet, may I say, if we're not careful, we can take that for granted. We overlook that. And because it, it is so easy to become a Christian, I think sometimes we don't realize how valuable it is that we've become one. It's kind of like that mentality, you know, uh, you, you know, give a child a bike and the child will probably leave it on the side. But you let him pay for his own bike, he'll probably put the kickstand up. See, when, it's, when you have to purchase something, you have to pay for it, and when it costs you something, then it's more dear to you usually. Because salvation's a free gift, sometimes we forget how precious it is. I just want to encourage you to never forget how precious your salvation is. Amen. We didn't get through all of these tonight, but we'll, we'll finish them up and begin something new again next week. But boy, don't take your salvation for granted. We live in a tremendous time here in America. We live in a tremendous time over these last 2,000 years. The dispensation of grace, we often call it. Where salvation is by grace through faith, plus or minus nothing. I mean, it is simply all Jesus Christ. And boy, there's not a price we'll pay that it won't be worth it all when we see Jesus. Nothing we could ever do. Nothing is going to go to waste. It'll all be rewarded. It'll all be worth it all. It'll all be worth it when we see Christ. Father, we come to you. Thank you for just allowing us to be a part of your fellowship, your family. Lord, thank you for just some precious promises that you give us. I'm glad that you keep your word. You cannot lie. And I'm so glad, Father, that you have blessed us with a salvation that is eternal, that you have given to us access to your family, that you've adopted us, which means we've been received of you, chosen by you, and that you'll not disown us 
Thank you so much for loving us even when we're unlovable. And thank you for receiving us when we're so unworthy. Lord, may we be ever grateful and mindful of your sacrifice on our behalf. May we not take salvation for granted. We'll give you the glory and the honor for all things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed. Every